Well, well, the 845 decided to show up. This is kind of fun. Last week, um, there was a little bit of room last week, uh, to be sure. So um, actually, last week, I should have just had us sit in a little circle and we could have just talked and did a little powwow. You know where you hand the ball around to each other and when you get the ball, you have to say your name and one thing that you like about, you know, your yourself. Wait, I've never said that in a group before. That's a complete made up story. So anyways, um, I just want to say that I'm completely blown away by last Sunday, even with a small group that we had. Um, it took me five times to get up my little hill out of my driveway to get here to the church. I mean, it was pretty intense. The snow just really overwhelmed us on Saturday. Anyone else get the report that we were supposed to have less than an inch of snow, right? And then you're like, this, I, maybe I didn't go to school or something or went to the wrong school, but this is more than an inch. But what was really cool for me is I, I pulled up around 745. And when I got here, there was already just this mass of humanity that was here making sure that we could have service uh, that morning, uh, making sure that we could open up the doors. And I love being a part of a community where they are so driven, so just passionate to say, we are going to make sure these doors are open so that people can hear about Jesus. In fact, if, if you were one of those people, if it was usher or greeter or kids ministry, coffee bar, um, any kind of thing, worship team, sound team, whatever, if you were here last weekend and you served in that capacity, would you stand so we can appreciate you this morning? Just stand up. Come on. Don't be humble. Yeah. Come on. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed last Sunday, by the way. Uh, it was the last little part of uh, James, the, the, um, James chapter 1. And it was pretty good. We discovered what it looks like to live this transformed life, right? As a new Christian, as a new believer, as a new creation, as someone who has been born again, living under the new covenant, accepting that word of God. We talked about the word planted in our hearts that grows and develops and begins to produce fruit. We saw last week that uh, how we live and, and what we say and what we do is an overflow of who we are in Christ. That we as Christians, we are those who are quick to listen. We're slow to speak. We're slow to get angry. We're the ones who reign in the tongue. We're the ones who look after the orphans. We're the ones who take care of the widows. We're the ones who aren't polluted by the world. That's just who we are. And I hope it was an encouragement to you, as much of an encouragement to you as it was to me. It's so important to be reminded of who we are in Christ, this new identity, what it looks like to be a Christian. Not just be hearers of the word. Remember that? Not just be hearers only, but what? doers. And I would encourage you listen to the podcast this week. If you haven't listened to it yet, a lot of what I'm talking about today is going to piggyback on what we talked about and covered last week. Today, we're going to talk about sin. Woo-hoo. Yeah, that's, who said woohoo? Raise your hand. That is the coolest response I've ever heard to talking about sin. Because come on, let's be honest. Sin is not really something that most of us get too excited about. It's not uh, a way to grow a church, by the way. And <laughs> you're like, hey, go to this church. They talk about sin. Unless, by the way, you're talking about the sin of the person next to you. And then you're like, preach it, brother. You know, amen. She needs to hear that word. But right, no one wants to hear about all the things they're doing wrong. You'd rather just stay home Sunday morning, I don't know, watch NASCAR or whatever people do on Sunday mornings. It's been a while. But uh, today we're going to be talking about the sin of partiality or the sin of favoritism. 
And, and I love the, what, what I love truly about the Word of God and, and how we're doing this, how we're going verse by verse by verse, is I, I don't get to pick and choose which verses to cover. I, I just kind of got to say, okay, God, what you want to speak, you're going to speak. And today he happens to want to go through James chapter 2, 1 through 13. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to James chapter 2, 1 through, thir- 1 through 13. And today he wants to talk about sin. I was very tempted just to kind of move past this passage. When I read it, it wasn't like, yeah, this is really cool. Um, but God said, no, you need to preach my word. And we're going to talk about the sin of favoritism. I can't he- wait to hear what he has to say to us. But before we go any further, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. That my, my life would just be grounded in your word. I know how unstable I am without your spirit and without your word. And in a culture that changes, it seems completely changes every year or two. And that I would continue to be founded and grounded upon your word, Lord. And as a church, we wouldn't just run after fads or after uh, things of our culture or after uh, new inventions or new ideas. But we would always run back to the living word, the fresh spirit. Just we would continue to go to you, God. And today we run back to you, God, and say, what do you have to say to us? What do you want to speak to us? By your Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we'll put it up on the screen. You can follow with me or read it in your Bibles. James chapter 2. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, he's wearing a gold ring, fine clothes. Poor man comes in, filthy old clothes. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes, you say, hey, here's a good seat for you. Poor man, you just you stand there. Sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, to inherit the kingdom that he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is bringing it. (laughs) I mean, come on. There is a, do you just feel it? There is a force behind his words. He sees something going on in the church that isn't right. And so he says, my brothers and sisters, believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. And then he calls them out. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. You show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes. You say, here's a good seat. Poor man, you stand there. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves, become judges with evil thoughts? He sees this, this truly favoritism of the rich and he says, cut it out. Cut it out. Remember, he just got done explaining religion or true religion in chapter 1, verse 27, right? He said, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
Pure religion is defined by a genuine love, a genuine concern and care for the helpless, the widow, the orphan, the poor. And yet he sees his brothers and sisters in Christ showing partiality, showing preference to the rich and to the powerful. And James is appalled. He's appalled. He's appalled for several reasons. Number one, this favoritism is so diametrically opposed to God's character. The favoritism, it is ungodly. We, we learned a little bit about God's character last week. We, we read Deuteronomy 10, 18, where it says, it is about God. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He sticks up for the helpless. Read the book of Proverbs. There's verse after verse commanding us to take care of the poor. In fact, Proverbs 14 says, to help the poor is to honor God. So favoritism of the rich, it goes absolutely against God's character. Now, I don't think, I don't think James would want, us to want to see favoritism of the poor either, right? He doesn't want us to go to that dysfunctional level as well, right? On, on the other end, he would just say, no, brothers and sisters, and it's in the scripture, he says, you and I must not show favoritism, period. You see that? Must not show favoritism, period. But then I, I, I'd have to add to that, you know, I think in his time, I don't think favoritism of the poor was a real issue. And in my society, and when I look around, I don't think favoritism of the poor seems to be a big issue either. But James, he sees this favoritism of the rich and he's appalled. Because favoritism opposes God's character. Number two, James is appalled because their behavior, this is true, it puts them in the position of acting and behaving just like the world, like the ungodly world. They look a whole lot like the world. He's already warned us, I just read it, chapter one, he says, do not be polluted by the world. Well, guess what? This world runs on favoritism. I was just talking to Jason Dre. Most of you know Jason Dre. He's actually on a business trip right now. He sells annuities and he sells life insurance, or not life insurance, but insurance. And he says in his job, this is just part of the gig. Some of you might see that in your own workplace, right? It's just part of the gig. People in his field, they show favoritism to different clients or to customers. And bosses, they'll show favoritism to different employees depending on what they can get out of their employees, right? It runs the system. But we need to remember, God, is he calling us to be like the world? No. He's calling us to something different. I would say something greater. And yet, I've noticed that some of the characteristics of the body of Christ look eerily similar to the characteristics of this world. And James is appalled by this behavior. And then number three, he's appalled because this favoritism it is the violation of the king's law, of the royal law, which is to love one another as yourself. In favoritism, you, you can see this. In favoritism, you begin to pick and choose who you're going to love, don't you? Right? In favoritism, you pick and choose. It's easy to love somebody with money. You might even end up getting something out of the deal, right? You know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you've never done that. Come on, you know you've done that. I remember I, I wrote, I wrote um, what's his name? Uh, he played for Texas. He was an outfielder. Now he's not that good. Josh Hamilton. Josh, I wrote him a letter. I said, Josh, I'm praying for you, and I just want to encourage you, and, you know, I'm just with you, and whatever decision you make on what team you want to go to, you know, bless you, bless you, bless you. And then in the last line, I'm like, and I'd really love it if you went to the Mariners. Grace and peace, Dan Burst. Right? You're trying to get something out of the deal. I, I seriously did that. No, another time I, I saw this, this is all on my notes, but I saw this top 10, um, top 10 wealthiest Christians in the world. And I was like, I need to write every one of those people a letter. So I wrote this Hollywood producer a letter like, I am in Edgewood, Washington, and we rent 
from another church. You know, anyways, I never heard back from him. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling way too much this morning, aren't I? I love it. But uh, here's the deal. You start giving to someone that you're not going to get anything in return from? I don't know, right? I, really? Like, do I really want to do that? I, I don't know about that. I, I, I question if I would really want to do that. And James would say that kind of attitude, that attitude, that's wrong. It's not of God. He's not impressed with this behavior. He's not impressed with favoritism. It's no small issue to James. In fact, it's a big deal to James. It needs to be a big deal to us because what? It's a big deal to God. And for us this morning, as we walk through these scriptures, I want to see that all of us as Christians, as new creations in Christ, we are to be driven by a different set of values and a different set of principles than what James is observing. And my prayer is that if James came into this body today, this is good, if he came in this morning, that he wouldn't have to say all the same things he had to say back then. That instead of him observing interactions uh, between each other where we're driven by money and fame and position or influence, full of division and judgment, instead he would come in, he'd see our lives, everything that we say and everything we do, that that our lives would be driven by one word. One word. We would be compelled. We would be moved. We would be motivated by love. That the world would know we are Christians by our love. It's so important that everything we say and everything we do would be filtered through the prism of love. And when that happens, are we going to look appalling? Are we going to look appalling? No. You know what we're going to look like? We're going to look like Jesus. We're going to look like Christ. Radically different, by the way, than this world. So back to the passage, James tells us, you get two men, one man. He said, don't tell the man in the Armani suit with the Super Bowl ring, ring, you know, you sit here. Would you like a beverage and some pretzels? You know, just let me take care of you. And then the other guy, he says, hey, you sit back there and we got some stale communion crackers. Would you like those? So sorry about that a couple of weeks ago. We, we have fixed it. We've solved that. <laughs> but verse 4 says, when you do that, we throw them away. Just uh, They're gone. When you do that, you've discriminated amongst yourselves and you've become judges with evil thoughts. That's pretty intense. The English Standard Version it says you've made distinctions. Among yourselves. So in a body that's to be defined by unity. That's the body of Christ. Unity. Here we've begun to make distinctions. We've become judges with evil thoughts. So scary when Christians begin to do this. When churches begin to do this. When when this happens, you begin to lose the unity. The unity that is absolutely vital to the health of the body. Unity is so important. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4. One through three, he says, I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Peter, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. See, there's unity in the body of Christ. But when we start telling you to sit there and you to sit there, when we start judging each other with evil thoughts, watch out. There's a danger in losing the unity in the body. Now, the Bible isn't telling us to be identical. I I hope you get that. We all have different gifts and different abilities. 
we're unique in how God has made us. But there is to be a unity. And by the way, both of those verses that I just read, along with talking about unity, they also both talk about humility. Did you see that? Did you catch that? Humility, having a humble mind. Do you want to see the body of Christ that is in unity? You will see a group of people who are walking in humility. In fact, if, when I walk into a church, if I visit a church, I can of, often spiritually discern whether there's humility in that place, a spirit of humility within the first five or ten minutes of interacting with the leaders of that church. Now listen to Jesus and what he has to say about it in Mark 12. He's speaking very harshly about the lack of humility that he sees in the religious leaders of his day. He is not impressed, by the way. Mark chapter 12, 38 through 40. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Do you think humility matters to Jesus? It matters to Jesus and it must matter to his body. And to keep this unity of the body of Christ, there must be humility. One of the most common areas where you see this lack of humility and where you start to see these distinctions and these discriminations, especially in a church, is in regards to tithing. Tithing. Some people, since, they, they think, since they've given a lot of money to the church, that there should be certain entitlements given to them, right? Benefits for being the number one tither. As if the amount of money that you give correlates to the amount of influence that you can have over the church or over the pastor. And in churches like this, you will begin to see where the people with all the money dictate and drive the vision and the direction of the church. And this all stems from this sin, a sin of partiality and favoritism. You don't want to make the big tithers unhappy, right? So you give them the preferential treatment you consider their needs over the needs of others i pray that this would never happen at life spring you know it's one of the main reasons i don't know how much you give at the church the only thing i know in regards to giving is that if you are a leader in this church i ask marcy our bookkeeper i say does this person give or not because as a leader in this church you give leaders give leaders are members of the church who are committed to this community to this family good times bad times and we want leaders to lead in all aspects of their lives including giving but that's as far as it goes we don't give the top 10 givers in our community a plaque right at the end of the year we don't hold a giving ceremony the bronze silver and gold (laughs) top three givers no as we follow the word of god we don't make those types of distinctions amongst ourselves it's not of god by the way, the word that James uses there for distinctions is the same word that he used back in the first chapter for doubts. Remember when I talked about that word doubt? It was a couple of weeks ago. I said that James talked about when you ask God for wisdom, you must believe and not. Yeah, you must not doubt. And I said that word doubt means to be self-disputing or being divided amongst yourself. Now, take that, con- take that into the context of chapter 2 and what it's talking about. Here we have this unity in the body of Christ, but then we have these distinctions that cause us to be self-disputing, causing division amongst the body. And just as that person who doubts is like a wave tossed in the ocean to and fro and stable in all their ways, I would say a church who discriminates is as equally unstable, truly a miserable place to be. So church, it's very important that we yield to the Lord, that we continue to ask the Lord soften our hearts, break our hearts to where we don't have these types of distinctions. And we have to be intentional about it because, I don't know if you noticed, we are surrounded by a world that beats to a different drum. 
<laughs> this world, it feeds off, it lives off these principles of favoritism. And I can promise you, if we do not yield to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, if we do not keep on feeding ourselves with the Word of God, allowing it to grow within us, take root, develop and produce fruit, the tendency in our flesh will always be to creep back into the thinking of the world, right? Going back into the thinking of the world where we exalt the rich, we exclude the poor, and we judge others with evil thoughts, and we cause division. Outside of Christ, that's where we will always go as human beings. But in Christ, we can remain humble and united. All right, verse 5 and 6. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. I hope verses 5 and 6 wake us up this morning. As, as you read it, I hope you see that, again, this partiality, this favoritism toward the rich, it is out of alignment with the heart of God. It's so different than God. So many of us, we bend our knee to the rich and the powerful, thinking that they have the keys to the kingdom, right? But James says, you got it all wrong. <laughs> you got it all wrong. God chooses the poor who love him to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom. And in the Bible, you see... God has always had this special concern for the poor who love him. You see this again and again. Psalms 10, or Psalm 10, we see that God brings help to the helpless. It says he brings help to the fatherless. He instructs the people in the book of uh, Exodus uh, through Moses. He's, he says, do not take advantage of the widow. Do not take advantage of the orphan. God has always had a great concern for those in need. Okay, what's that all about? Why? Why? What's his deal with the poor? And I want to give you two reasons why he has such great concern for those who are in need. Number one, it's because it's who God is. <laughs> That's just who he is. It's, it's in his nature. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. We're told he is the God who defends the cause of the fatherless, of the widow and the orphan. It's just who he is. But number two, he has a special concern for the helpless because often you're going to find in them the humility that God desires from us, especially compared to those who are rich. Poverty tends towards humility more than wealth. In the same way, sickness tends toward humility more than health. Because those who are poor and sick, they understand their need. Jesus understood this. Remember when he, what he said? He goes, those who are well, they have no need for a physician. Who needs a physician? You are on it today. You, you're just so great today. You love the preaching on sin and, and you're talking about giving all the right answers. You get a bonus point in heaven. Just right there. Boom. Negative one. No, who needs a doctor? The sick. There is a reliance upon God for those who are in need. In my own life, I've seen this principle ring true again and again. I've seen it. We're in times of wealth, in times of health, in other areas where I'm walking in my strength. I have tended to rely on those things instead of relying upon God. I hate it. It's embarrassing, but it's true. When everything is rainbows and butterflies, I've struggled to rely on God. Now, I don't abandon Him altogether, right? You know what, what you do, right? You just kind of take Him and you just put Him in your back pocket, right? You save Him for a rainy day. But I've had some rainy days. I've experienced some trials in my life, just like most of you have. And you know, when I have the most sincere and most honest prayers, they always come in the midst of the darkest moments of my life, in the worst circumstances, when I'm desperate, wondering if I'm even going to make it. For me personally, it's when my health issues flare up, 
when they flare up so bad where I don't want to get out of bed. Many of you know that feeling. And it's in those times that I humbly come before God, call on his name, ask him to be my help in my time of need, to be my strength and my weakness. But don't you know, that's what our dependency upon God should look like all the time. Whether we're rich or poor, healthy, sick, there always needs to be a desperation for God. An attitude, Psalm 42, it it describes this attitude so well. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, the living God. Do you see it? I mean, this is so healthy. It's a healthy need and desire for the presence of God, regardless of my circumstances. Rich or poor, healthy or sick, I am hungry, I am thirsty for God. By the way, I just want to say, there's nothing wrong with you being wealthy this morning. In fact, if you're wealthy and you're here, I rejoice. Do you know the things that you can do for the kingdom of God with your wealth? And if you're healthy this morning, praise the Lord for your health. Just thank God for your health. And by the way, as an American, talking about myself, as an American who has a house, and who eats six times a day, I consider myself to be extremely rich and healthy. I'd be a little more healthy if I chose different things to eat those six times a day. (laughs) But I just say that for those of us who are in this category, here's the hard part. Even if we're rich and healthy, God desires for us to live with the same kind of humility, same kind of reliance upon God that we would have if we were living in poverty and sickness. The same kind of humility. This is one of the main keys of living the Christian life. Regardless of circumstances, a total dependence upon God. When you live that way, you're you're taking a huge step in your spiritual maturity. Psalm 51, King David, he says, You come to God with a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Good or bad, rich or poor, you come to Him with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You come to Him in humility. You know who is the best example of this? Jesus. Jesus, the humble king, here he was without sin, and yet he walks through this life with a broken heart, contrite spirit. You see this in how he submitted to the will of the Father. Jesus, right, the perfect Lamb of God, he submits himself, he humbles himself. If there was ever anybody who earned the right to walk around without submitting to anybody else, it was Jesus. But instead, in Jesus, we see see something amazing, right? We see a beautiful submission to his Father. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. We see humility. One time he's talking to his disciples. He says, hey, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And he says, I am humble or lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here he is, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, without sin. And yet he, when it was time for him to pay the ultimate sacrifice, he, Christ, humbled himself even to death on a cross. He submitted completely to the Father's will. Jesus, hallelujah for Jesus. Praise Jesus for Jesus. Jesus is the perfect submission to the Father. And I would just say it's the very essence of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And for us, we need to have the same attitude as Christ, right? As Christians, to have the same attitude as Christ. The same humility that would be willing to do the Father's will. It's a humility, it's a brokenness where we are so in love with him that we completely surrender to him. We trust him. We say, God, your will be done. Take my life. Let it be used for you and for your glory. As we walk humbly with our God, we walk with a broken and a contrite heart. As James would say, if we do this, it says right in there, it says you will be rich in faith and you will inherit the kingdom. And I want to make this point as well this morning. Inheriting the kingdom, it's not about being broke and having no money. 
right? You're poor, so you get to enjoy the kingdom. Salvation isn't about you and your economic status. Salvation is always about God. Salvation comes from God. James already told this, uh, this in chapter 1, verse 18. He said that God chose to give us birth. He gave us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Our salvation is not based on us, but it's based on God and his grace and his mercy that he chose to give us life, give us birth through the word of truth. Listen, actually, listen again. I want to read again. Verse 5. Who does James say inherits the kingdom? Is it the poor? Who is it? Just, just pay attention as I read it. It says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Did you catch that? Who does he promise the kingdom to? To those who love him. The kingdom is for those who love him. Rich or poor, the kingdom of God is for those who love God, for those who put their faith and trust in God through Christ. It's for those who walk in humility, who realize they are hopeless without him. They are desperate for him. They walk in surrender to his will. The kingdom is for those who love him. Now, James, definitely, he points out in this section and he points out correctly that poverty tends to lend itself towards this kind of humility and this kind of love more than wealth does. You definitely see that there. But, but here's the deal. For you in this room, you that woke up this morning, got up early and got ready and came here to be at church, you might not get to choose whether you're rich or poor. In fact, for many of you, you don't get to choose whether you're sick or healthy. This world doesn't always give you that luxury. But you do get to choose Pay attention. You do get to choose whether you're going to walk in humility or not and whether you're going to love God or not. And I want to challenge you this morning. I want us to get to really start thinking about our life, what motivates us, what drives us in our life. I want to ask these questions to you. Are you striving to be rich in the things of this world or is your aim to be rich in faith? Do you want to inherit an earthly kingdom or a heavenly one or an eternal one? Do you love and worship Money, or do you love and worship God? Do you have a total dependence and desperation for your 401k, or are you totally depending upon God? Come on, if we're honest, that's hard, right? That is hard. That is life. That is the thing of faith. That is the thing of trusting God with our life. It is hard. When you start talking about money, this is hard. But just be honest. Allow yourself to wrestle with these things. Ask yourself these questions and wrestle with them. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to work on us a little bit, to recalibrate our hearts this morning. We need to ask for forgiveness, at least I do, for our pride. Ask forgiveness for our self-reliance and ask God instead to give us a broken and contrite heart that would just once again fall on our knees desperately in love with Him and Him alone so that what we can be rich in faith and we can inherit the kingdom. As Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, 3, what does he say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Say that with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, let's keep on moving on. Verses 8 and verses 9. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, which is love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. You show favoritism, you sin. And you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So James, verse 8, he says, brother, sister in Christ, do right. (laughs) I love that. Do right. Love each other. Do right. Don't sin. You, holy one of God, do right. 
Obey Jesus' commands. Love one another as yourself. James, he's so clear in these scriptures. He says the way you're treating the rich compared to the way you're treating the poor, it's a sin. Let's just call it as it is. It's a sin. It is a crime against God, and you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Outside of Jesus, now you are in a world of hurt. <laughs> How you've been treating the poor, the widow, the orphan, all that, it is wrong, and you are in a world of hurt. But you are a Christian, and you follow the footsteps of Christ. So stop making these distinctions between different members of the body of Christ. It's a sin. We... Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to fight for the unity in the body. That rich or poor, healthy or sick, that we all need rescue. We all need a Savior. And because we as brothers in Christ are covered by the blood of the Lamb, it's time to start following this royal law. Follow Jesus. Stop judging. Stop discriminating. And start loving your neighbor as yourself. Do right. Love your neighbor. Then verse 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are being judged or going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. I love back verse 10. It just it punches you in the gut. It is so clear. It says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, say one point, at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. I love that because, see, that little scripture there, that is more serious than we will ever understand. <laughs> that means if you are sitting here, you need Jesus. In fact, if you were wondering why you need Jesus, listen up. You need Jesus because you are a lawbreaker. You're guilty before a holy God, and there is a price that needs to be paid for your sin. And if you don't know Jesus, get to know him <laughs> because through Jesus, you can be saved from the penalty for your sin. As Christians, that's what we are. We are saved. You ever think about that? We're saved. He has rescued us. He has saved us. And so we don't live as Christians. This is beautiful. We don't live in a fear of being condemned by God for breaking the law, even though in our sin, condemnation is exactly what we deserve. But Romans 8, 1, it tells us that therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But then you're sitting there, but I'm a lawbreaker. I, I, I law, I'm a lawbreaker. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but if you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, it says you will not be condemned. You're guilty. You're guilty in your sin. But for those of us who put our faith in Him, Jesus actually becomes a mediator between us and God. Pays our ransom. He pays our debt. He frees us from the bondage of sin. He sets us free. We're now not under the law, but we're under the law of freedom where we are motivated not by rules and regulations of the law, but we are motivated by what we talked about this last week. We are motivated by God's love. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's all because of God's love and his mercy for us that we are compelled, motivated, moved to love others. And then verse 13, it's beautiful. It says, judgment without mercy. I don't know if this is encouraging if you wrote this on the mirror when you woke up, but try it out. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Yeah, just tattoo that one, baby. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is telling us this morning, God's mercy has been shown to us through Jesus Christ. It's important that we don't just accept the mercy of God in our own life and then start casting judgment on those around us. In the flesh, that's what we do. I know I've seen you do it. You've seen me do it. 
But those living by the Spirit, praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit, those of us living by the Spirit, we allow God's mercy in our lives to actually influence how we treat others. Remember that parable of the unmerciful servant. He was forgiven this huge debt by his master. And then he turns around, finds the fellow servant who owes him a little bit of money, and he puts him in prison until he can pay him back. At the end of the parable, remember Jesus, he has some harsh words to say to those who have been shown mercy by the Lord, but don't forgive and show mercy to others in return. I hope that Jesus would not say that about us, Life Spring Church. Because God, he has been rich to us in his mercy. Hasn't he? So rich in his mercy. Not given us what we deserved for our sin. And I just pray that God's mercy would cause us to be dripping with mercy for others. But again, in our flesh, it's not our desire, right? Our desire is to judge others. Our desire is to cause division, to separate, to push away. It comes naturally. Again, just look around the world around you. This is how the world operates. But as believers who are marked by the Holy Spirit, who are living by the Holy Spirit, mercy needs to triumph over judgment in how we interact with others because God has been merciful to us. And so here's the thing about a message like this. I, I've walked through all these verses. And there's a good chance you're sitting there this morning. And you're going, you know what? That's right, Pastor Dan. I mean, you, you are just on it today. And, and the church really does need to get its act together. You know, the church, it just needs to stop being so divisive. Getting, giving all that preferential treatment to the rich. The church needs to start taking care of the poor. That sounds really good. And, and you know, the church really needs to step up its game in loving people. We need to love people. We need to show mercy. We need to stop judging everybody. You know, way to go, Pastor Dan. I really hope the church heard what you were talking about today. Well, guess what? There's a good chance I'm actually talking to you. Is your heart open to the words of the Lord, to the Spirit of God? Are you open to God? Because I think in our culture, I think in the American church, meaning you and me, we've missed the mark in this area of favoritism and partiality. I mean, in how we live, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we, we've just missed the mark. For some of us, it's how we treat our kids, right? We, we love that one who's really good at sports and who gets the straight A's, but we kind of just tolerate the one who needs extra help or gets under our skin, gets on our nerves. In the workplace, come on, you butter up your boss, right? Because you know there might be some financial incentive to it. You might be getting that promotion or that raise. But that coworker. You know the one I'm talking about, the really annoying one. We avoid them all day long, hoping we don't have to talk to them. In school, we sit next to the popular kids, right, at the lunchroom because it might help our reputation or our image. And we try so hard to ignore and avoid the so-called losers because we don't want to tarnish that reputation. I could go on and on and on. This isn't a Sunday morning issue. It's an issue of what it means to be an everyday follower of Christ. I just want to spend some time this morning as we close. I want to take a look again at our lives. And I want us to ask this question and ask these questions. One, do I love God? But two, do I love my neighbor? Do I love my classmates? Do I love my coworker, my family? Do I love them? Do I have a concern for those who are in need, for those who are poor in the eyes of this world? Do I obey, honestly, ask yourself this question. Do I obey Jesus' command to love one another as he has loved us? Do I love without partiality? Do I love without favoritism? Do I show mercy as he has shown me mercy? Or am I quick to judge? And again, I know the answer for you for some of these questions because I've seen your Facebook posts. I've read your Twitter accounts. Oh, come on, right? Let's be honest. Some of you in the flesh, 
We don't have a lot of love to give. (laughs) We're not very merciful. In fact, I'm kind of selfish. I'm a tad bit prideful. I'm a whole lot of grumpy and I'm a little judgmental. On a real good day, I even begin to pick and choose who I'm going to love. But praise God for sending us His Holy Spirit. Because as I live by the Spirit, as I am open and as I open up my heart to God's love and His way in my life, I find that I am in Christ. And in Christ, come on, this, He gives me this ability, this supernatural ability to love others with a supernatural love. The Holy Spirit, He gives me what I need to walk in humility. He gives me that broken heart and a contrite spirit so I can actually have a genuine concern, a genuine care for those around me. And many of us in this room, this morning, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. We need to ask the Lord right now to gently bring us to our knees, that we would be sweetly broken before Him in a posture that allows Him once again to teach us how to love without favoritism, without partiality. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us. I'm going to ask Jonathan to come on uh, back up. He's going to sing a song for us. But as, as Jonathan sings this song, I pray that we would use this time. Don't waste this time. Don't start thinking about ranchitos. Just use this time to open your heart to God. Allow Him once again to show you what it means to love one another as He has loved us. And, and this message is not to condemn you. It's not to condemn me. But I hope that today would remind us of who we are in Christ, that we are a holy one of God. We are declared righteous. We are holy. We are blameless. We are perfect by the blood of the Lamb. And so it's time to start yielding to the Spirit within us that brings freedom, that brings life, and allow Him to remind us once again what it means to love one another with the love of God. Jesus, reveal to us this morning once again what it means to love one another. Remind us once again what it means to not show favoritism in our love, but to be humble in our love, to be gracious in our love, to be merciful in our love. Bring 
break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I have for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into eternity. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Show us how to love this world with your love, your supernatural love. If you've never cried that prayer of desperation where you said, God, I've been living on my own, and in my own, I just feel the weight of my sin, and I need a Savior, and I thought maybe the things of this world would save me but they have yet to save me and if Jesus if you really are who you say you are then come and save me if that's you this morning if you need saving if you need rescue if you need the Lord to forgive you of your sins would you just raise your hands so I can see you and pray with you encourage you anybody amen see you brother hallelujah And then for the rest of us, hey, we get our eyes on ourselves so easily. We become selfish and inwardly focused so quickly. So God, we yield once again to you that we wouldn't live by the flesh, but we would live by your spirit. That we would live that new creation born again life where the old is gone and the new has come. That you would again, God, just captivate us by your love, motivate us by your love, move us by your love, and that we would walk in the freedom that is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so for everyone here, Lord, all of us, I just pray, have your way in us once again. Have your way in us once again. Break our heart for what breaks you, that we would be poured out like a drink offering, God, that we would truly be workers in your kingdom, serving you not out of rules and regulations, but serving you out of the love that you have shown us. And our love back for you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And just, we got just a couple more minutes. Um, I just want to lead us in the prayer of, um, of salvation. Just that it, it, You just all pray this with me. Um, just kind of talk to God in this. Don't just repeat after me. Talk to the Lord with this. Just be honest before Him. Just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I've done wrong. And I'm guilty. Lord, I want your freedom. Lord, I desire your grace. And I'm under your mercy. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be free. Lord, you are my Savior. And you are my King. Hallelujah. Amen. And amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, God is so happy. You are a part of his family. 
and that he wants to lead you and guide you. His Holy Spirit is with you and within you, and he will help you. He will teach you. He will train you up in all righteousness. He will guide you and lead you. It's going to be good. You'll never be alone. You'll never be forsaken. He will never leave you. There is such an assurance as a Christian that God gives us by his Holy Spirit, that deposit of the Holy Spirit. So today is a good day. Enjoy yourselves today. Be blessed today. Would you stand with us? I'd encourage you to come back tonight, 6 p.m. It's going to be awesome. Get to hear Jonathan Lee sing his songs. And uh, if it was anything like this morning, it better be. We flew him all the way from Nashville, so the pressure's on. But I cannot wait to be a part of it. So really, Lord, we just, we again yield our lives to you, God. We yield to you, Lord. We are fighters, and sometimes we fight for our own things. But, man, could you just take that passion that we have for our own comfort and our own security and transfer that passion for you and for this world, that we would become passionate for the lost. We would become passionate for those that need a Savior, that instead of passion for what we're going to eat or passion for where we're going to live or passion for what kind of car we would drive, you would give us a passion, God. For those who need a Savior. And so we just say, have your way in us this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Have your way. We are open to you, God. Challenge us. Wreck us, Lord. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. That we would love this world with the love of the Father. We're excited to live this life. We're excited that we get to wake up Monday morning and truly live for your plans and your purposes. Hallelujah and amen. Amen. Have a great week. Can we just give it up for Jonathan one more time? Thank you, bud.